everyone, and welcome to Food Disruptors, an IFT podcast that brings you the latest insights and perspectives from some of the brightest minds in the science of food. Each episode, our guests discuss the ever-changing intersection of entrepreneurship, innovation, and science and their role in advancing the global food system. Today's episode is a follow-up discussion of the Seeding the Future Global Food Systems Challenge, which IFT proudly launched last year. The goal of the challenge is to inspire and support passionate, diverse, and multidisciplinary teams to create game-changing innovations that will help transform the food system to be more sustainable, make healthier diets more accessible, and empower consumers to make choices benefiting both personal and planetary health. The annual challenge provides three levels of awards to incentivize food system innovations at different stages of their development. And today we're speaking with the three grand prize winners, Queenie Rizaldo at World Fish, which is headquartered in Malaysia, but she's coming to us from Myanmar. Dismas Kisulu of Solar Freeze in Kenya, and Jahar Ali with the International Rice Research Institute in the Philippines, along with, of course, Bernard Van Langrich, whose foundation Seeding the Future initiated and funds the challenge. Thank you all for stretching your schedules so we can join each other from across the world. So. Bernard, I, I want to start with you. You you received more than 900 applications for the, the different grant mechanisms in this first year of the challenge, which is incredible. And after several rounds of review, uh, the selection committee awarded 14 different organizations a total of $1 million. What observations do you have about the state of innovation based on the applications that were submitted? Yeah, thank you, Matt. Uh, great question. Before I answer, before I answer, let me first say that I'm really excited to be here today, and and I like to congratulate our grand prize winners of our first inaugural Seeding the Future Global Food System Challenge. I'm very thankful that you can all join us today on this podcast. It's been a great journey this first year, and it's been wonderful to see the exceptionally large number of innovations, but also the international response. We have had applications coming in from teams of innovators, engineers, and scientists from over 60 countries, all addressing really important issues and determined to transform our food system. One aspect I'd like to point out is at the very core of our challenge is the search for highly impactful transforming innovations that create a benefit at the intersection of three domains that are overlapping like in a Venn diagram. We call this innovation white space or innovation focus area. The first of the three domains is safe and healthy food to enable a healthy diet. The second domain is related to sustainable or renewable practices and reduction of food waste or food loss. And the third domain is related to the consumer. Any solution needs to provide a benefit to the consumer and enable the consumer to make a conscious choice to ultimately benefit their health and the health of the environment. In addition, innovation should lead to solutions that are affordable, accessible, attractive, and trusted by the consumer. We realize that this is a high goal, but all three winners created a very exciting innovation that address these domains, and in addition, can be scaled and ultimately transform our food system in a very unique, in their very unique way. Let me also say that we were obviously thrilled to receive over 900 applications and we adjusted the selection process to be sure we gave each application the attention it deserved. It was very interesting to see that all innovation outcomes were focused very sharply on the innovation white space. However, they originated from very different areas from across the entire food value chain, 
beginning with basic science to develop healthier crops, to, to renewable agriculture techniques, to better protein supply, all the way off to off-grid food processing techniques such as drying, freezing, cooling, uh, and post-harvest loss of food waste reduction. In summary, I would say we are thrilled with the quantity, the international response, and most importantly, the quality of the innovation in terms of the impact potential and significant benefit for human life. And all of this is best reflected by the winning teams who have joined us today. So my thanks goes out and congratulations to all of you. Thank you. Yes, congratulations, Jahar, Queenie, and, and Dismas. That, I mean, out of 900 applications, I mean, that's that's a great achievement. So really congratulations to, to all three of you. And I want to start, you know, digging in a little bit on on what each of your organizations do um, and learning a little bit more about you. So, so Quinny, I'm going to start with you. Um, so Worldfish is building capacity using homestead aquaculture to produce highly nutritious food products using small fish. L talk a little bit about that. Why small fish specifically and why are aquatic foods important to transforming the food system? Uh, thanks. Thanks, Matt. Thank you for having me today. First, I would really like to say that Worldfish is very proud to be one of the winners of the inaugural Seeding the Future Global Food System Challenge. Aquatic foods have been, has potential in addressing malnutrition, lowering the environmental footprint of our food systems and providing livelihoods to millions of people living in poverty. Aquatic foods like small fish are central to the livelihoods, food and nutrition security of more than 800 million people in developing countries, particularly those vulnerable to climate change, poverty, conflict and humanitarian emergencies. Aquatic foods include animals, plants and microorganisms grown in or harvested from water and their synthetic substitutes, whether it is caught in oceans, lakes and rivers are sustainably farmed. It releases less carbon than land-based crops and livestock. So it is packed with vitamins, minerals and healthy fats, making it a health, healthy options for people on the planet. The importance of aquatic food is slowly being recognized. More than 3 billion people obtain 20% of their animal protein from it and 60 million people are engaged in the fisheries and aquaculture sectors, and half of which are women. Fish is among the world's most valuable items of global, global, global trade, worth 164 billion US dollars in 2018. So your question, why small fish? So I will just say that our colleague, Dr. Shakuntala Tilstead, who received the World Food Prize last year was the first to examine the nutritional composition of this small indigenous fish species. It is found and consumed in Bangladesh and Cambodia. Her research demonstrated that the high levels of these micronutrients and essential fatty acids in these affordable and locally available foods can offer life-changing benefits for infants' cognitive development in the first 1,000 days of life and the nutrition and health of their mothers. So in Zambia and Myanmar, where we are focusing our work for this award, this small indigenous fish species will be integrated in homestead ponds, and then it will be processed and marketed to make them available for local consumers. So from Dr. Tilsted's breakthrough, she went on to develop nutrition-sensitive fish agri-food system approaches. 
to food production from land and water that have improved the diets, nutrition, and health of millions of vulnerable women, men and children living in low and middle income countries across Asia and the Pacific, and of course, Africa. I forgot to mention Africa. Yes, Asia, Africa, and the Pacific. So therefore, sustainable and equitable transition to aquatic food-based diets can deliver a triple win for nature, people, and climate. Lastly, a sustainable food systems transformation will not be possible without due attention and investment given to aquatic food systems alongside crops and livestock. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, th what an innovative approach. And I, that's something that even as someone sort of, you know, immersed in, in the science of food, it, it's something that is still new to me. So I think that that's really interesting to hear. And I love the approach and the rationale behind that. So thank you for, for that information. So Dismas, I want to turn to you. Solar Freeze is a social enterprise that provides solar powered cold storage to smallholder farmers in Kenya. And really, it's innovative on two fronts, both in its business model and in the application of solar panels to freestanding refrigeration units in the field. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how it works and, and how it's going so far? Yeah, sure. So Solar Freeze uh, started unofficially back in uh, 2016, uh, where after my studies at the University of California in Davis. There's a huge post-harvest institute uh, that deals with uh, tropical fruits and how to preserve and uh, take care of them before harvest and uh, post-harvest. So most of the technology that I studied uh, in school, I realized was very practical, uh, especially in Africa and uh, more specifically in Kenya. So I started Solar Freeze uh, to help smallholder farmers uh, sort of uh, access cold storage as a service. Uh, I'll give you a good example whereby uh, uh, food uh, such as pot uh, potato, which is very nutritious and uh, a lot of uh, poor households uh, take uh, potatoes whereby the price of uh, a 90 kilogram sack of potatoes can move uh, anywhere from uh, 20 US dollars all the way to 75 US dollars uh, within a period of four to five months. Uh, because most of the smallholder farmers who plant uh, potatoes lack uh, access to preservation and cooling. And what Solar Freeze does as a business model is sort of like an Airbnb for cold storage and cooling, uh, which simply means that uh, we provide uh, sort of like a shipping container, uh, which is uh, 40 foot and uh, some are 20 foot and some are smaller, uh, whereby if you have a crate of uh, fresh produce, you just come and store and pay on a daily basis. So basically we've uh, reduced the huge capital uh, investment required from the smallholder farmers to own cold storage and now essentially made it as a service. So uh, preserving uh, fresh produce uh, such as fruits and vegetables and also uh, in the fish sector, uh, whereby Kenya has a huge coastline. Uh, we are helping um, fishermen along the coastline preserve their produce uh, as a service. That's great. I, I love how you you kind of were inspired by something you you learned um, in, in school over at UC Davis and and are using it to make a difference uh, in your own home. Sure, what we realized early on as Solar Freeze is that uh, access to uh, preservation and cooling is really critical. And uh, because most of, uh, most of the continent lack uh, access to electricity, Solar Freeze uh, came up with a fully uh, solar powered cold storage uh, unit, whereby the largest one is uh, 40 foot and uh, medium size is 20 foot. And then there are smaller units that, that are between the size of 200 liters to 500 liters, very ideal for 
uh, maybe the fish preservation and uh, meat preservation and dairy preservation. And we realized that uh, for us to be effective with smallholder farmers, you have to make our units mobile. So that means that uh, from the farm gate, they can be able to easily take their produce uh, to a central aggregation collection point. And that's when we came up with a mobile uh, solar powered uh, cold storage unit. So that essentially means that uh, once you have like a crate of uh, potatoes, which is, I think Kenya is the second largest producer of uh, potatoes in within the continent, uh, you uh, bring your produce and then uh, solar freeze gives you access to uh, better market information because we also realize that there's a huge uh, information gap between what smallholder farmers have in terms of uh, what is the price of their produce in larger uh, cities such as Nairobi, Mombasa, or Kisumu, whereby the price may be different from what they are accepting at aggregation points within the rural areas. So we send them uh, SMS, periodic, periodic SMSs, we tell them that, hey, you can get uh, the same 90 uh, kilogram bag of potatoes can go for, uh, uh, for example, 60 US dollars as opposed to uh, what is being offered. And if you wait out uh, for a longer period, you can get a better price. So we guarantee the farmer that the ideal temperature that we are going to provide uh, for, for their storage is around uh, at least six to eight degrees Celsius, which is uh, uh, good for potatoes. And also because they are a very good candidate for preservation and cooling, they can last even uh, more than uh, six months with uh, adequate uh, pre-harvest and uh, good pre-harvest technology. So uh, our interventions have included uh, in the pre-harvest sector, we have, we have trained farmers on how to pick their fruits and uh, how to reduce bruising and also the post-harvest sector whereby on top of uh, providing access to uh, cold storage as a service, uh, the sort of the Airbnb for cooling and preservation, we go beyond that by providing them with uh, real-time information on uh, better market information, uh, who to sell their produce to and uh, what is the most ideal uh, price that they can uh, get because a lot of farmers are, tend to be price takers, uh, which means that uh, very many uh, businesses uh, give them the price that is normally the lowest and because they don't have access to uh, like general information in terms of uh, the best prices that they can sell their produce in the city, uh, we, we bridge that gap and also we, uh, because we as solar freeze essentially we have aggregated a lot of produce essentially in one collection center, uh, that gives uh, smallholder farmers a better bargaining power. So for example, if uh, solar freeze uh, connects them with a larger supermarket uh, within Nairobi or in a larger city, they can get better prices or uh, maybe a chain of restaurants, uh, which guarantees quality and quantity at the same time. Uh, they're able to negotiate for better pricing. So uh, business model as uh, we focus on uh, providing the technology initially just to cut down and post service loss. And we realized that we reduced uh, for uh, perishable fruits and uh, vegetables from 95% uh, uh, after two weeks to less than uh, 5% uh, post-harvest uh, loss. So that was very effective, but also we went beyond that and uh, provided farmers with uh, market linkages and uh, better information to access uh, larger markets and uh, to be able to basically sell the produce at optimum prices. Well, that's great. And I think it really shows how you are, are taking the technology and, and turning it into this, this social enterprise. Um, so thank you for that. Now, Jahar, I want to 
turn over to you. So the International Rice Research Institute works throughout Asia and Africa uh, with projects and partnerships to improve the health and welfare of, of rice farmers and consumers. And the project you're working on is a plant breeding project that has developed a strain of rice that resists the uptake of arsenic, which seems like an obviously beneficial innovation, given that high levels of arsenic are naturally present in groundwater and many rice producing regions, particularly in South and Southeast Asia. And from what we know, Himalayan rivers carry arsenic from rock sediments to the densely populated rice producing regions of South and Southeast Asia, threatening the primary rice growing belt of Asia. Uh, Could you share with us how the strain of rice that you and your team developed is able to stop the rice plant from absorbing arsenic contaminants and what makes this rice strain so novel? Yeah, thanks, Matt. Uh... The new strains of rice developed by us actually blocks the arsenic uptake to the rice grains below the World Health Organization's standards of 0.2 milligrams of arsenic per kg of polished rice. It is actually, uh, uh, these new strains are already in the backgrounds of the released varieties in Bangladesh, uh, Biridan 69, and in India, Biridan 69 and PR 126 uh, rice varieties. And we have now identified a quantitative trait loci, which is actually a DNA segment on chromosome eight that uh, firstly retains the arsenic load in the roots. While the QTL on chromosome two restricts the arsenic uptake from root to the shoot, And another two QTLs uh, we identified on chromosome 6 and 12 that restricts the arsenic from the shoot to the grain. And all these QTLs makes the rice cultivars novel by restricting the arsenic going to the grain. Now we have also identified a specific set of candidate genes in these uh, uh, QTLs regions, and we have validated them for their further utilization in the breeding programs. Now, having said that, the next step is to take the potential arsenic-safe rice cultivars and validate them in the target arsenic-contaminated regions in comparison to the farmer's variety and best check varieties. So after validation, we need to nominate the promising entries into the national yield trials and get them officially released for allowing the farmers to cultivate them. The challenge is to identify the most uh, potential arsenic safe rice material that fits the needs of the farmers and the market. And only then it will guarantee the farmers the desired farm income and allow the arsenic safe rice to reach the markets. And to address these challenges, we plan to demonstrate the yielding potential of these materials in the target arsenic contaminated areas to all the stakeholders, including the farmers and millers and consumers. Further, we need to quickly nominate the promising entries to the national yield trials for their testing and release. And we will closely work with the national institutions to train them to collect the soil, plant, and grain samples to primarily assess the arsenic in the grains and shoots. Once the arsenic uh, materials are properly validated in the arsenic contaminated areas, the local rice breeders will be given free access to the arsenic-safe rice materials along with the gene-based markers to directly incorporate them in their breeding pipelines. And this is to mainstream this important trait 
in their breeding effort. And in the future, this will trigger the development of future uh, rice varieties, which will be much safer for consumption and use, and thereby it would create bigger impacts uh, in, the, uh, in the target regions. That's great. And I just want to note that the incredible diversity in terms of, of topics that, that the, these three winners represent, right? We, we have uh, an aquaculture-based uh, uh, winner. We have one that is more engineering-based. And of course, Jahar, with, with your more horticultural and, and molecular um, genetic sort of approach to, to solving these incredible challenges, I just think it's so wonderful that you know, all of these projects are truly interdisciplinary, but taking sort of distinct approaches to addressing these, these grand challenges in the food system. I, I want to go back a little bit to the competition and talk to each of you about what this grand prize really means to you and, and what winning means to your organization. So, so Quenny, why don't you start off with, you know, reflecting on, on what winning means to you and your organization? Yes. Thanks, Matt. So Worldfish is an international nonprofit organization that has presence in over 10 countries across Asia, Africa, and the Pacific. So this award only adds to the growing recognition and body of evidence for the unmatched potential of aquatic foods to bring about positive outcomes for nature, people, and climate. So this award will help us address the problem of undernutrition and micronutrient deficiencies that the people of Myanmar and Zambia, where this project is going to be focusing. To those people who, particularly the children and women, are facing due to the COVID-19 pandemic and political situation in Myanmar. This problem of undernutrition micronutrient deficiencies will have long-term effects on health and economic productivity. So the scientific understanding of the role of fishery and aquaculture for food, nutrition, and economic security has never been greater. But translating this into practical solutions require attention, investment, and resources from governments, policymakers, and the private sector for which time is running short. So World Fish, as it did over the past 40 years, will continue to work with partners from across the world to advance sustainable and equitable aquatic food system through best fit for context, world-class innovation in today's global high-velocity economy, assault on nature and the climate crisis. Both the World Fish and the CGAR 10-year research and innovation strategies offer us a roadmap to effectively deliver impactful work. Thanks again, Matt. Thanks, Gwenny. Dismas, how about you? What does uh, winning mean to you and, and your, your social enterprise? Yeah, sure. So winning the IFT prize means uh, it's a very huge deal to SolarFreeze. First of all, you are really excited for this huge recognition because uh, the work that you have been doing on the ground is receiving a spotlight in a very uh, far-flung part of the world, whereby this uh, sort of renewable energy and uh, new business models can be used to tackle huge uh, food issues uh, in in the world. So the prize means a lot in terms of recognition to us and also to the whole team because we work in areas whereby putting a spotlight on our work means a lot because uh, we of- oftentimes uh, feel like we are working uh, in the dark and unseen. Uh, but the prize uh, put that uh, puts that recognition on our work, and that's really excited to everyone on our team, and also even to the smallholder farmers that we work with. Uh, going forward, we aim to put more units on the ground and uh, increase uh, the direct impact that we have currently. We are serving at least uh, 3,000 smallholder farmers. So, as a result of the prize, we aim to at least double that number in the next uh, three years. 
uh, because we use the financing to increase the units on the ground. And also we have a new, we have a sort of like a training program within Solar Freeze to train more technicians uh, uh, to be able to maintain, repair and operate the solar power technologies in the rural areas. So with that program, uh, uh, this year as a result of the grant, we're going to train at least 100 young people to be technicians. And our target is to focus on young post-secondary school women with between 18 to 29 years, uh, because we realize that there's a huge skills gap whereby we need more solar technicians and especially uh, solar technicians related to agriculture, having the right skills to repair these technologies because uh, we are seeing a lot of uh, solar irrigation pumps coming around. We are seeing a lot of uh, renewable energy technologies for agriculture productive use assets coming around. But we also want to train more people to sort of uh, troubleshoot this equipment uh, once there's a challenge. And uh, this price also will be used uh, for solar freeze to, in terms of scaling, also to uh, capacity build uh, the people who are going to directly uh, work with our technology on the ground as well. So it's a huge recognition. We are really excited and we hope to uh, scale our work and to increase our impact on the ground and in Kenya to be specific. And, and Jahar, uh, why don't you touch a little bit on, on what this means to you? Yeah, uh, thanks, Matt. Uh, the winning this prestigious prize is very close to my heart, actually. And it would help the millions of rice farmers in this region to eat much safer rice than what they would be consuming otherwise. In the long run, the mainstreaming of rice breeding with arsenic exclusion genes will help a lot to both farmers cultivating arsenic-safe rice varieties and the consumers, especially women and children, from a health perspective. It will help CGR and ERI to continue their meaningful work to transform the food systems worldwide, including addressing the food security, health, and nutritional needs of people. Impact of success from our project will be directly by the adoption of high-yielding arsenic-safe rice varieties that will be providing higher income to the farmers on account of their superior yields and multiple abiotic stress tolerances inbuilt in them. Mainstreaming of rice breeding using arsenic-excluding genes with molecular markers would help the NARIS partners to develop arsenic uh, rice varieties over the years. And uh, the, a large populace actually would be consuming new rice uh, varieties that are safer uh, from uh, safer to be uh, in the long run. And over the years, the wide scale adoption of arsenic safe rice would keep the arsenicosis, cancer, and arsenic related ailments relatively low, especially concerning women and children, as rice provides more than 50% of their daily calorie requirement in South Asia alone. So, uh, with this, I would like to thank. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Excellent. And Bernard, I'm going to have you close us out. You know, can you share a little bit, you know, based off of this incredible first year of the challenge, can you share what you're looking forward to with, with the second year of the challenge? Yes, uh, thank you, Matt. Obviously, uh, that's a tough year to follow, uh, <laughs> just listening to uh, the winners and their incredible innovation with uh, an incredible impact on, on human life, as I mentioned earlier. So I would say that first, we'd like to repeat the success from uh, this last year's challenge, not, not just to raise 
the same level of interest in food system innovation, but we also like to see the same quality of the submission, uh, which we saw this year and the quality of innovation we just heard about. Um, second, I'd like to take this opportunity today to encourage all applicants who did not win last year, we, we call them the other 95%, um, to visit the challenge website on IFT's website and submit their applications as soon as the application period opens on June 1. And third, and going forward, we are thinking about establishing a food system innovator community where not just the winners, but also finalists and semi-finalists can interact with each other, uh, with the broader IFT community, and also with venture capital and other food value chain stakeholders to grow and nurture their ideas. There's more to come on this, but I'd like to share with you that we are thinking about creating this new innovator forum starting next year. Thank you, Matt. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that, that it, it doesn't necessarily, you know, stop with the award, right? There's, there's the hope of continuing the conversation and, and creating this ecosystem of innovation. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, congratulations again to, to all the winners and looking forward to, to seeing all of you do great things. And if you're enjoying Food Disruptors, please let us know by leaving a review on iTunes or by connecting with IFT. You can find us at IFT on Twitter and by searching the Institute of Food Technologists on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks for listening to Food Disruptors. I'm your host, Matt Teagarden. Have a great day, everyone.